I invite you to take a Bible and open up to John chapter 17, which you'll find on page 903 of the Blue Pew Bibles in front of you. John 17. We are this week and, Lord willing, next week at the end of our study that's taken us from the end of John 13 all the way through this prayer that we're in this morning and to the end of it. Um, So we'll look forward to finishing that study and then uh, hopefully um, we'll continue in Proverbs. Jeff will preach in a few weeks and then we'll move over to go start a study in the book of Acts. If you want to be reading ahead, you can do that. What would you do, what would you think, what would you think would happen if our child care volunteers who are right now so helpfully serving us by watching some of our three and unders, what what would you think would happen if they just, all of a sudden, the volunteers just kind of walked in this room and there were no three and unders with them? Just left them in the room there, closed the door, and just kind of came in here to camp out for 45 minutes. And there are a bunch of toddlers all hanging out in a room together with no supervision. Man, what wouldn't happen is the question. So many things could go wrong. You know, a child might get scared and cry. An argument about a toy might break out. The snack box might get discovered and be used to decorate the entire room. Oh, we love our little ones too much to leave them. Our volunteers stay there with them to keep them safe and protected. If, you, if you've cared for kids, you know that feeling. You care too much to leave them behind where danger might befall. Jesus' disciples, I think, must have gotten used to feeling safe with Jesus with them. They watched him calm storms when they thought their life was in jeopardy. He'd created food out of nothing when they didn't have any. He could heal any sickness. And he was afraid of no one. And it seems at this point, everyone at least has some kind of healthy respect for Jesus, even if in their hearts they didn't like him. How would they now remain protected and safe? How would they, as his followers, do what they're supposed to do if, as Jesus has been telling them, he's about to leave them? That's what he's been preparing them for since the end of John 13. In our passage this morning, John 17, verse 6 through 19, we pick up in the middle of Jesus' final prayer for his disciples before he will be carried away, arrested, and crucified. So I'm going to read this section of his prayer, verse 6 through 19. And as I do, see if you can pick up on how Jesus is feeling about leaving his disciples behind. In order to go through this trial and then go on to be with his father, was he concerned? Was he fearful? Was he optimistic about their future without him there? See if you can discern. I'm going to read verse 6 and then through 19. Jesus, praying to the father, says, I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. 
I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I'm no longer in the world, but they're in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I've guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. The main idea, I think, of this part of Jesus' prayer, the kind of thrust of this section is this. As Jesus leaves the world, he asks and trusts his father to protect and prepare his people for life in the world. As Jesus leaves the world, he asks and trusts his father to protect and prepare his people for life in this world. We're going to explore that idea by examining three different aspects of this prayer. Here are the three aspects. If you're taking notes and would be helped to write them down to follow along, here they are. Who Jesus prays for. What Jesus prays for. And how Jesus' prayers are answered. Who Jesus prays for. What Jesus prays for. And how Jesus' prayers are answered. Are answered. My aim in this is that we would know Jesus, that we would know and be able to know that He is praying for us, that we would know what it is He's praying for, and that we would be able to see with confidence and hope how His prayers are being answered in our life. So let's look at that first section, which you find in verse 6 through the beginning of verse 11, and it's who Jesus prays for. Jesus is specifically praying here for his disciples. The 11 men who had been following him in his earthly ministry, minus Judas, mentioned here as the son of destruction, is no longer with them. He is actually right now off scheming to betray Jesus. These disciples are the first generation of Christians Jesus leaves at his departure. And what he prays for them when answered will serve as a kind of fountainhead of God's work that will flow down through their ministry that we'll be looking at in the book of Acts down all the way to us today. And Jesus seems to clearly know that his disciples are listening to him. He is using kind of a a teaching angle in this prayer. He even uses this kind of language that he talks about. I don't know if he knows it, but he, he talks about as if he's already gone. Just so that they can kind of get their mind in the place of after he's gone, what is it that's going to happen? What is it that he's going to do? Before we find out what Jesus is praying for in verse 11, we do get, if you, uh, if you picked up on it, in the first few verses, we get several statements describing in detail who it is Jesus is praying for. 
So here they, here they are. Here's who Jesus is thinking about as he prays to the Father. The people the Father gave him. His people and the Father's people. People who have been responsive and obedient to his teaching. People who have a relationship with Jesus and the Father and an understanding about who Jesus really is. People who know the truth that is from God. People who believe that Jesus came from God and who have come to understand the character of the Father through Jesus the Son. These people are different from the rest of the people in the world. These people no longer belong to the world, but to Jesus and to the Father. These are the people that the Father has specifically given to the Son, and the Son has received and saved in order to bring glory back to the Son and the Father. These are a specific people. Did Jesus care about the rest of the world? He did. But did Jesus pray for the rest of the world like he did for his own people? He did not. It is important for me to be as clear with you about who are God's people as it was important for Jesus to be clear about this with his disciples. If Jesus goes to such lengths to spell this out, then we should assume this is something that Jesus does not want us to miss. We will see that there is a tremendous amount of comfort to be had knowing that you are under the umbrella of Jesus' prayer here. But we must first examine if Jesus was truly praying for us before we assume he is. One important distinction that you find in Jesus' prayer to define his people is that he prays for people who are no longer part of this world. What does that mean? Well, I think it shows up in the fruit of your life. It, it, it means that you don't live like this is your eternal home. It means that you recognize that Jesus is the truth and the world will often tell lies. It means that you, as one of Jesus' people, feel a healthy discomfort in sin. And with sin. And an ongoing desire to be free from it. Not indulge in it. Jesus' people desire to one day leave this world. To go home to be with him. In that sense. Are you in the world? Or out of it? Can you be confident? That you are under the umbrella of Jesus' prayer. If not, let me encourage you. Take some time to think about what it would look like for you to fit this description Jesus lays out. What would you need to do? More importantly, what would you need Jesus to do to bring you out of the world? Maybe think about the passage that uh, Ross read earlier and prayed through. What it, what it means that God sends his spirit to remake us to give us new hearts that desire him and love him and follow him that's what you would need to come out of the world jesus must come and reveal truth to us he must awaken belief in our heart he must cause us to see that if we are to be his it is him who has to come and save us to make us his people 
That must happen first. Now, I'm sure that there are likely people here who are not of this world, who are out of the world, but you struggle with knowing assurance that you are Christ's. Doubts come. Unbelief can overwhelm you. You want to be Jesus's, but you wonder if he'll have you because of all your weaknesses and your sin. So struggling Christian, if that's you, go back through what Jesus says here is necessary to be called his. He acts in mercy and grace. We respond in belief. Jesus wouldn't have you add any other requirement or burden to knowing that you are his. Just repentance and faith. Church, I think we see our identity etched in Jesus' prayer. And look at how much who we are rests on what God has done in Christ. The Father acquires us. The Father possesses us with his electing love. The Son comes to bring revelation and redemption. The Spirit holds us and secures us. All that is for us to do, to be his, is to believe that he has done it for us. His is to give. Ours is to receive. God and Christ are talking with one another. Jesus talking to the Father, the Father listening here, and see how they take a a personal interest in us. This is not just sheer curiosity. There is a sincere desire of Jesus and the Father to make us their own. And so when we talk about the church, the Father and Son, when they talk about it, they use words like mine and ours. Their treasured possession. Now, as remember this, we remember this morning our sister Imogene. We get to appreciate here that there's nothing like being part of Jesus' people. What a family Jesus makes that we get to live in. For those who didn't know her, Imogene was a dear sister in her 80s, a widow, a longtime faithful member of this church who passed away on Friday morning. One younger single guy in our church shared a note with me that he wrote to Imogene on Wednesday night, a couple nights before she went to be with the Lord. He wrote this to Imogene. I was in church this evening and Philip said you're nearing the end. Imo, if you see this, I'm so thankful we had an opportunity to get to know each other. So thankful God placed you at Warnell as he has. I'm thankful for your encouragement and asking about me when I was not at church sometimes. That made me feel so loved and cared for. I'm grateful that I had the chance to have one last Christmas dinner with you. I feel extremely honored to have shared that time with you. I'm going to miss you. Every time we get up to sing, I'll have you in mind singing a little louder because of you. That's from a young single man to an older widowed woman. Expressing what it's like to share the life of Christ in a depth of relationship. All because Christ made us his. If there is any identity we want the world to see in us, it's this. (laughs) The adjective that should best describe us as his people is his. 
not pious, not self-righteous, not insulated people, not political people, not indistinct from the world people, but a word that expresses that we are fully owned. And in response, we are fully committed in love to him, his. Church, Jesus prayed for you. And is talking to the Father about you now. It's so encouraging, isn't it? To get a text out of the blue from someone who says, I'm praying for you today. I'm I'm encouraged by that. Thank you for those of you who have done that to me. And are doing it in countless ways throughout this church. You have no idea how that is building us up. It's encouraging because you know when you're on the receiving end of a message like that, you know that there's a conversation happening for your benefit between God and one of his beloved children. You know God is inclined to hear prayers like that and answer them. He promises to. Imagine if Jesus texted you and said, I'm praying for you. Man, you know that prayer is as good as done. So what was it that he asked for? And that takes us to the second part of our text. What Jesus prays for. He prays for protection and preparation. As he's about to leave, Jesus prays for his people to be, prays for his people to be protected and prepared for life in the world. See if you can hear those prayers as I read again verse 11 through 19. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves." I have given them your word, and the, word is, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. You see the prayer for protection? In verse 11, he prays, Father, keep them in your name. In verse 15, he prays, keep them from the evil one. It's a prayer. It's a prayer that asks the Father to keep these, his people, where they are. And it's a prayer for safekeeping from those who are trying to remove them from the place they are in. I remember going to my aunt's uh, pool on summer days growing up and being in the pool during a rain shower. Uh, I remember feeling the cold raindrops. I remember hearing the noise, the loud noise of them hitting around me and feeling the sting of them on my body. And I loved as a kid going underwater where the noise went away, the water felt warm, everything was still. It was like nothing bad could get to me. It's one of my most vivid memories of what it feels like to feel safe. When do you feel safe? What circumstances make you feel protected? 
Is it when you're locked in your home and your alarm is on? Is it when you've accrued enough money in that savings account to weather any unforeseen event? Is it when you know exactly when your closest loved ones, you know exactly where they are and what they're doing all the time? Is that the kind of protection that Jesus is asking for from the Father? Notice it's a prayer for spiritual protection, not physical protection. Jesus has already forewarned them and alludes to it in verse 14 again, that they will in this life following him when he is gone, they will meet hostility. They will meet persecution. There will be times when they suffer physical attack and even death. He is not promising protection from that. He's promising they'll walk through it, if anything. And I think it makes sense that Jesus is not as concerned about their physical safety, not because he doesn't love them, but because Jesus knew that their lives on earth were not the ultimate goal. As we've been seeing time and time again, what he is there to do is bring them into eternal life with him. Something that goes far beyond the experience of life here. So Jesus says in Matthew 10 verse 28, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Our temporary physical safety is not Jesus' highest priority for us. Our eternal spiritual security is. Jesus wants to know. He wants us to know that despite physical harm or threat, our life with God remains. We are his. So if Jesus prays mainly for our spiritual safety, how might that instruct our prayers for ourselves and others? How much we can help each other by regularly praying for steady faith in God in trial. How big a difference it will make in our church that we pray that God sets a wall around us that Satan cannot penetrate. Even if we come and go walk through with others through even death. You are most protected and kept when you are united with the father and the son and united with his people. Did you see that in verse 11? That's what Jesus says is the evidence that God is keeping you. Verse 11, that they may be one, even as we are one. And I think he's talking about the experience of the disciples in this life together, that they may be unified, even as they're unified in us, in me, Father, Son, and Spirit, in all of us. So in other words, one measure of your proximity to God and your safety in him is your unity with his people, with the church. You're not kept if Monday through Saturday, your life is one constant experience after another of veering into sin. You aren't safe if you are secretly exploring other religions without opening that up to the light of God's word and counsel. Your faith is in danger if instead of seeking to believe and trust God in trial, you have resigned yourself to bitterness and apathy towards God. There are predators of a spiritual and powerful kind 
that are lurking and would love to have you believe that the church is optional to your Christian life. And what is most important is that you just find your own personal way to follow God. Your unity with God and with his people is when you are strong. Division and isolation is weakness. This is why I think Jesus often, one of the reasons Jesus often uses the image of a shepherd to illustrate the safety he provides. Because it's not just him as the shepherd that's in view. It's the, it's the whole thing. It's the whole flock and how the shepherd and the flock relate to each other. So in John 10, he says that I am even the door to the pen where the sheep sleep. <laughs> if any predator or robber was going to get to those sheep, they would have to go through Jesus. And Jesus has a 100% track record of protecting all his sheep. He says so in verse 12. The only person who got lost was the one who was already ordained to betray him. The son of destruction, Judas. So yeah, I do mean all of that to kind of stir you up if you're not connected to a church. I do mean to do that. But I don't mean to do it in a way that's harsh. Or like stiff arms you and says there's no place for you here. It's actually an invitation. You can know life with God. You can experience the comfort of being united with him through the unity of his people. And so if you don't have Christian community, I invite you. Come to the membership classes tonight. See what it's about here. What that would look like for you. And if it's not for you here, maybe another church that preaches the gospel in the city will be a great place for you to experience life with God in the way Jesus describes. We want to help you stay safe. And we want you to help us stay in the Lord. Now, I am not claiming that we as a, as a people will keep you safe. God does that. He promises to do that through Jesus. And, and we keep reminding ourselves, stay close to Jesus, our shepherd, will keep us safe. That's what we mean to do here and encourage you in. The church is the people Jesus the shepherd promised to be ever guarding, ever watching, ever keeping. So Jesus prays for our protection and then he prays for our preparation. Verse 17 through 19. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. The word sanctify and the word consecrate have similar meanings. They basically mean to be set apart for some type of service. It was a word in the Old Testament that was used most often in connection to sacrifices and the priests who served at the altar. The various animals were taken from the herd and dedicated to be offered to God as payment for the sins of the people of Israel. And the priests were trained in God's law, ceremonially, ceremonially cleansed dressed in order to serve before the Lord at the tabernacle and, and temple and the sacrifices. Now that's kind of all reaching its fulfillment in Jesus. And Jesus is now saying, Father, set me apart. I'm ready to go as a sacrifice once and for all on the cross. I'm consecrating myself for this service that by my death, I will cleanse once and for all, all the people you've given me. Child of God, you stand underneath that work he's done. You stand cleansed 
assured of the pardon he provides on the cross. No more needs to be done. He's done it all. Jesus set himself aside for this service. And once his work is complete, once he passes through the cross that saves us and the resurrection that liberates us and brings us to life, he turns to his, this, his new people, and he says, I now give you a new service. I sanctify you. I consecrate you. You are to be my witnesses now in the world I'm leaving you in. In light of this new role the disciples are about to take, Jesus asks the Father to prepare them, set them apart. Just like the protection he prays for, the same is true about the preparation. This is a spiritual preparation. He isn't, Jesus is not like King Saul here, you remember, who makes sure that that Jesus has all the physical armor for the battle against Goliath, ill-fitting and huge though it was. That's not what he's doing. He's like Elijah, passing on the mantle, signifying the Spirit's presence and equipping that is there for the days ahead. What could possibly prepare these 11 men to undergo what they are about to go through? What gift, what tool, what means is available to them once Jesus, the miracle worker, the man of wisdom, the son of God, once he is no longer with them each step to teach them, remind them, encourage them in the way? What does he give? The truth. The word of God. This is what Jesus asks will be working. And we understand working through the spirit in light of what he has already said that the spirit will be using. This is what Jesus asks the father to be using to be working to ready them to be witnesses. I think this truth that the means God uses to prepare you to be his people in the world. It gives a whole new perspective to why we want to get up early in the morning and have some time in God's word. Is not is not a sheer duty. I want you to see if you're like me and you just largely want to get out of bed in the morning to read his word because you know you should do it. Or maybe because you know you should or because the preacher keeps talking about it on Sunday. I want that to shift. I want you to see it's more than that. That that the means God is using in your life to prepare you for that day is his truth. That you feel a need to be prepared for that day. And you come to that word reading it knowing this is how God prepares me. Have you ever thought that your daily time in God's word is God's time with you to get you ready for what he wants to use you for? When you open his word, God goes to work, setting you apart, reminding you you're washed in the sacrifice of Jesus. You are commissioned to be his people. His word calls to our mind and our heart all the promises he makes to you to take you faithfully through that day of representing him. The same is true for us as a church, not just us individually throughout the week, but us together. I know that Christians have been meeting for centuries on Sundays, just like we're doing today. But if you're visiting with us, know that it is not historical tradition alone that draws us to gather here this morning. No, it's the voice of God that speaks to us, directs us, 
defines us again. We are the called out ones. We are the ones commissioned. This is a sanctification ceremony in which the Father, Son, and Spirit are telling us again, this is who I'm making you to be. And what he uses to prepare us has everything to do with what he's preparing us for. Notice up in verse 8 that Jesus created his people by revealing truth to them, by bringing the Father's words to the people, people of this world. Now we have received those words. He has helped us to understand them and believe them by his Spirit. Do we keep them to ourselves? No, we take them out. On Friday, I got to listen to a group of third graders recite from memory the entire Sermon on the Mount. So if you don't know what that is, it's a set of chapters in the book of Matthew that go on and on, in which Jesus lays out basically his his kind of ethic, the way he sees the world in many different parts. I was so impressed by their hard work and concentration, by the patience of the teachers who must have worked with them for months to commit so much to memory. But the thing that really caught my attention was the power of the spoken truth. I doubt it would have mattered who was speaking it. I thought about the ears in the room that were hearing Jesus explain the world. Truly, I say this. This is the truth, he would say in preface. You've heard it said this way, but I tell you the truth. I I thought about the ears hearing that. Jesus explained the world, what's real, what our lives are meant for. I had this sense that if I could see what was happening in in spiritual realities, I would see this sort of shockwave go out from the mouth, carried on the word, reverberating from each word spoken by Jesus to the mouth of those, those students, rippling out and penetrating into the soul of the listener. As I listened to Jesus' words again, the spirit at work inside me heard every word. And I said, this is the truth. In this, in what Jesus says, this is the life. This is what people must know in order to live. And nothing else. And in my heart, as his child, as when he has graciously worked in, despite all my shortcomings and sins and failings, he's chosen to have me know that. To hear it and believe it. And I wanted to follow Jesus. And I wanted my kids to know him. And I want your kids to know him. And I want us to know him. And I want us to love his word. And I wanted our church to eagerly look forward to hearing his voice. And going where he leads. Which is what we're doing right now. The spoken truth of God's powerful word. Has life altering, life changing, life directing power. It is the thing that prepares our hearts to be who he would have us be. So to be the person God wants you to be, to be the church that God wants us to be and plans us to be, he's going to use his spirit. He's going to use his word. Those are his means. It is for us to show up and be prepared. To be ready to take his truth, to be receptive and available Ready to go where he sends us. So Jesus prays for protection and preparation. Be encouraged. One last thought before we move on to the last point. Just remember the context. Jesus is about to be arrested, which he knows. He's about to be crucified, which he knows. 
He's about to suffer beyond any other human has ever experienced, which he knows. And yet the thing most on Jesus' mind before that was about to happen was his people and their well-being. Wow, what a savior. Third, how Jesus' prayers are answered. How Jesus' prayers are answered. Does Jesus tell us in any way, does he indicate for us in this passage how he thinks these prayers he prays to the Father will be answered? Well, you might explore this question more than I can in the remaining time. Maybe you'll look back through that and try to identify. How does Jesus show us that he knows these prayers will be answered and how? But I'm, I'm going to try to walk us through it. Looking back through the passage, Jesus shows how he thinks his prayers will be answered. He trusts in a Trinitarian answer. He trusts that the Father, Son, and Spirit will work in tandem to answer these prayers. So the Father will give the Son to come and make us know who God is through giving us truth and giving us life in Jesus. The Son will obediently come and set himself apart as the sacrificial lamb who dies on the cross to snatch us out of the world. The Spirit implied in the work of the Word will follow the Son's effective work and will continue to teach us God's Word, growing our understanding and obedience to the truth. So church, I want you to hear this prayer and I want you to breathe a sigh of relief. The responsibility to keep us and protect us and unify us and prepare us for what God wants us to do in this world, it is not dependent on us to do, but that God promises to do in us. Jesus was not holding his breath as he approached the cross in blind optimism, just hoping against hope that all the work he did would somehow stick. That his teaching and his suffering and his dying and his rising wouldn't fall flat. He wasn't resting the fate of his kingdom on the precarious foundation of weak disciples' faith. No, he puts the kingdom in the Father's hands. And he knows that the kingdom of believers born out of his saving work will not fail. So when you feel like your faith is waning and weak, the Holy Trinity is acting to keep you from falling away if you're believing in Jesus. All three persons of the Godhead have made this their concern. Not even the greatest evil can cause God to fail in his purpose to bring you safely to himself. I think there's no doubt that Jesus' prayers have been answered. I know this because the Father loves his Son. Who more than anyone do you think the Father would listen to? Who more than anyone is God the Father not going to withhold anything from? It's Jesus, right? His own perfect son, who never asks in selfishness, who's always in lockstep with his father and doing his father's will and giving everything for the honor and glory of his father. That's who's asking. So if the father hears his dear own anointed son pray and his answer is yes, what does that mean in this passage for you, son and daughter of God? It means in Christ... These prayers have already received a full yes from the Father. Jesus prays, protect them, and the Father says, they are safe. Jesus prays, prepare them, 
And the Father says, they are set apart. Jesus asks, Holy Father, keep them. And the Father answers, they are kept. I know Jesus' prayers have been answered because here we are. What is this gathering? If not a testament to the answered prayers of Jesus. We are an assembly of people who have been shown the Father through the Son and Spirit. We know that Jesus is our Messiah, Savior sent from God. We know the truth of God's word. Although we're growing in it in every, day, every way and every day, we are still wanting to respond to it in faith. We're a group of young believers and old believers. We're not all at the same level of maturity, but all who believe are equally secure. We're about to come to the table. And gather around it and eat in unity, one people around one meal, signifying that we have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God who is the father of us all. What Jesus did in praying these words and then going to the cross to purchase us from sin through the grave to rescue us from death and back to the father to begin his reign as king. Jesus is birthing the kingdom of God in which you now get to be a part. It's all starting to come now. And it wasn't just for us. Not just for us here in this room. It, it was for the gatherings of people like us happening all over this city right now. All over this state. All over this time zone. All over this country. All over this world. And not only now, but who have been ever since these first 11 men listened to him pray for them. And not just on this earth either. The most glorious evidence that Jesus' prayers were answered is the gathering happening in heaven right now. Those who have been kept. There all the saints meet who were kept, protected, and prepared to live for Christ until they died. The disciples are there. All the men, women, and children who Jesus died for and who trust Jesus are there. Our sister Imogene is there. And I trust so many other will follow after her from us and go there. As one hymn says, those who have gone ahead of us are more happy, but not more secure. Jesus prayed for them. They were kept to the end, and we will be too. If the Father, Son, and Spirit are committed to answering these prayers, then what do you or I need to know to know Jesus was, in fact, praying for us? Perhaps you're hearing you don't know if you are kept. You aren't aware of the truth as you hear it. You don't think your life shows that you've been set apart to Jesus' witness to the world. Perhaps you're suspecting that the world is still where you are. Trapped and enslaved. Can you leave this morning knowing that Jesus prayed for you too? Friend, you can. You can. To know that is maybe why God has brought you here today. All that's required is that you look to Jesus and trust. Believe who he is. Believe what he said. 
And believe in what he did on the cross to save. And for all who do, Jesus did pray for you. Let's pray. Father, we pray Jesus' prayer after him. Please keep us according to what he has done and who you are. Keep us. Keep us in your name, united to you and one another. Keep us from the evil one. Set us apart by your truth. Set us apart to be your witnesses. Lord, we thank you for the table that reminds us of the unity we have through Christ. We now come to it both soberly reflecting on all that needed to happen to give us an invitation here. The body of Jesus broken for us. The blood of Jesus shed for us. And we come to it also in celebration for all that Christ has done to cleanse us. Set us apart and to secure for us a home in heaven. Lord, as we come around this table, may it all be about Christ again for us. In Jesus' name, amen.